in this episode, business problems, not sales, and extreme automation is coming. And did you know that POCs are just groovy? gas has always challenged technology. Now it's time for tech to challenge back. Come hear how the best minds in the industry are making those solutions a reality on the Oil & Gas Technology Podcast with your host, Mark LaCour. All right, welcome to another episode. If you want to support the show, and why would you not want to support the show? Because this thing is going places. Leave us a review. It's the easiest way to support this show and all of our other oil and gas podcasts. We've got a great one here from Tin Cup from the United Kingdom. Enjoy its evolution. Big fan of oil and gas this week and just start following this series. I sell tech into oil and gas sector, so enjoy understanding what is on the minds of decision makers in the industry and where it's going. This series is new. So I understand it is evolving, but I love it already. That's awesome. So if you want to be like 10 Cup and get a shout out on the show, just leave me a review. Take a couple of minutes. And we have some really cool guests. I've known Ypro forever, right? In fact, my old sales days, I used to compete against y'all a little bit. And unfortunately, y'all would always win. So I ended up learning how to partner with y'all. That was a win-win for everybody. I'm sitting here with Gary Hargraves. How are you doing today, Gary? I'm doing great, Mark. Thank you. And with Helen, is it Gilman? Yes. Gilman. And Helen, you don't sound like you're from West Texas. <laughs> yes, that's because I'm not. I'm from the UK. <laughs> so really, 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 really far east. Yeah. <laughs> and then, so y'all both work for YPRO. And before we get into some of the cool stuff y'all are doing, I want to talk about YPRO and its history. Uh, YPRO has been around for a very long time. They've done major technology work all over the world. But in oil and gas, I still see some people that think of y'all as just a tech outsourcing company. And y'all outgrew that a decade ago. Y'all are now a fully integrated consulting, integration, technology advisory, technology implementation company that has global reach and scope to be able to pull off anything in the world, aren't y'all? Yes, we sure are. So we've been working in oil and gas now for about 20 years. And we have transformed more from that commodity IT business to a, a global consulting practice. We've made investments within the industry by acquiring SAIC's consulting practice a few years ago. And then we've also acquired two design firms in, the, in, in recent years, Design It and Cooper. So it's really put us in a position to help with digital transformation in this industry. Yeah, in the SAIC acquisition, I don't know how hard an acquisition that was, but those guys used to actually rule the world as far as consulting implementation. I mean, they had it all, all the big stuff. So that was a great acquisition from y'all's part. So I want to talk a little bit about, you know, we, we talk about tech on the show because it's obviously it's the oil and gas technology show, but y'all are doing a lot of stuff where it's really actionable. It's boots on the ground. It's solving real business issues. So it's not a technology conversation I want to have. I want to have a business conversation and y'all's technology just happens to be one of the tools that y'all use to help oil and gas companies. So Gary, how in the world did you get in this industry? How'd you get started with all this? Well, my background is I worked in the retail industry and then in the airline industry as well, and really working on major transformations within their, you know, their, their operations and their lines of business. And then I, I came over to oil and gas, mainly because of proximity. I'm a Houston-based boy, and my family's around, around here. And so really started looking at how to help with kind of the wave of digital transformation that was occurring um, here in this industry. And I've worked at uh, HP, IBM, and now Wipro. So I've seen it through multiple lenses, and this is my second time with Wipro, actually. And, and so you try to get away, they made you come back. I, I, exactly, <laughs> exactly. And you know, one of the main reasons I came back was the domain capabilities here, and really the understanding and the consulting practice we have specifically for oil and gas. 
it drew me back. And so now I'm working with folks like Helen and on, on the kind of the new ways of working with oil and gas. Yeah, it speaks a lot to how great the culture is here if you're willing to come back. Yes. If I think about my past employers, there's probably only one <laughs> that I would go back to. They don't exist anymore. So Helen, you're, you're in from the UK for a little while. You know, welcome to the US. But you're out there face-to-face with some of the major oil and gas operators out there. What is going on? I mean, what's, what's, what is challenging them to the point that they need YPRO's help? Well, I think historically, we've, been, we've always been tried to work with them on business problems. So, you know, we've mentioned already the SCIC acquisition. I was part of SCIC, joined them in 2000. And in the SCIC years, we were very much engaged with the oil and gas business. And with Wipro, we've continued to do that. So the kind of people that we work with are, you know, asset managers, technology groups, central groups, not so much primarily the IT organization. And what we try to do is to sort of link the conversation between the business and the IT or the digital. And I think these days, particularly when you have this kind of explosion of new digital technologies, companies, every every time you open a paper or a website, you're being bombarded with messages about digital technologies and digital transformation. And, you know, for oil and gas, there is definitely a huge amount of potential associated with that, partly because we have so much data, but also a lot of challenges. Some of the kind of conversations that you see around digital don't apply directly to oil and gas in terms of large customer bases and things like that. So what we're finding with our customers is, you know, help explain this to us. Where is it that we can make a difference? Where is there most value to be had? What is it we need to change? So that's the kind of conversations, that's the kind of areas that we work with, particularly in the area that I work in, which is integrated operations. You know, I started out working in this space probably about 20 years ago when we used to talk about the digital oil field back in 2000, you know, digital oil field 1.0, just starting to get those data streams from sensors that were being installed out, out in the field. You know, a lot of work has been done since then, but now it seems like there's so many more tools, so much more technology that can help. But how do you get value out of that? That's really the conversation we have. Yeah. The first time I ever heard digital off-field, it was the Shell project in the North Sea. They were digitalizing the subsea assets. And this probably was 15 years ago. And I remember thinking how sci-fi it was. Like, there's no way. And now we just accept it as normal. But one of the problems I'm seeing, I see two problems. I'm curious if y'all see it as well. One is that the vendors have overused the buzzwords. Mm-hmm. So now the business leaders go, I don't want to hear this academia. I want you to show it to me. Right. And then the other thing is now that it's cheaper for things like sensors and uh, transport and for memory and storage and processing, we're over, we have more data we know what to do with. And, and so I think that's one of the problems is trying to figure out of all this data, which one half of 1% is important to my business. Right. And so that's, I think that's a business challenge that the entire industry is, is struggling with. Any thoughts on that? I agree completely. I mean, you see loads of statistics about, 90, 97% of the data isn't used or 80% of the data isn't used. And you can argue about what that number is, but it's a fairly big proportion. So what we don't need in many cases is more data. There is an awful lot of intelligence and information in the data that we have, but trying to figure out the best way of accessing that or where the most value is. You know, that's where you need to start out with a business conversation. What are your business drivers? What are your business levers? What are your KPIs? And only when you know what it is you're trying to impact can you start to think about how you might leverage the, the data that you've got to be able to do that. Yeah, and I, you know, I've seen, as far as the buzz is concerned, all of the majors at this point have set up a digital head or leader within their line of business. So they've bought into that idea. They've started with the, the, the change in the, in the organizations and the culture 
to, to make that happen. And now with this kind of extreme automation that's going on in the, the field, they're set up to take advantage of it. So, you know, we're, we're helping with the consulting side of it where we're helping them prioritize all of that new data that they have. But we're also, in some cases, in the field with them, co-engineering new solutions to, to help them you know, better operate what they have out there, right? Yeah, one of the things that I've seen is that we can't get out of our own way. So if I'm a, a pipeline operator and I realize that I want to get away from my old SCADA analog systems, I want to put IP traffic in to be, better manage my pipeline, I don't know what else is out there. I don't know that maybe the municipal water parts of the U.S. governments did this 10 years ago. I don't know that the airline industry was doing predictive maintenance 20 years ago. I only think of everything as oil and gas. Are y'all able to bring those other insights and, and other ways of looking at business and processes to the oil and gas industry? That's one of the things I think Wipro has an advantage of because we're a, a global company that works across lots of different industries. We do have a lot of experience in other verticals. So pulling in lessons from aviation or retail or manufacturing is something that we do try and do, which isn't always easy because, you know, Wipro is a large company. But similarly, we sometimes use our capability across other verticals as well. So a, a couple of years ago, you know, we'd done quite a lot of work in the oil and gas industry around operation centers, integrated operation centers. And some of our guys worked on a smart cities project. So, you know, how you run a city of the future and what you do with the data. And so they were able to hook up with people from lots of different verticals to understand, you know, how you would manage your utilities network or crime, security, and, and bring all that knowledge together, which was quite an interesting project. But it also gave us lots of ideas about ways in which we could take things that other industries were doing and take them back to the oil and gas industry. So we do try and do quite a lot of that. And it's not, you know, it's not the easiest thing in the world to do, but I think you can learn a lot from what other industries are doing. There's sort of a temptation, there's this kind of not invented here thing. So people will say, oh, well, it's, it's different in aviation because they don't have the reservoir or this is different or that's different. And it's true, you can always point out differences. But I think there are quite a lot of similarities as well. People are essentially solving similar problems and, and looking at what other people are doing and, and how they're doing that in different industries does generate new ideas that I think can be applied to oil and gas. It is very interesting to watch this change in culture by the, brought about the new younger workforce. So the industry as a whole, the oil and gas industry is risk adverse, right? Because what we do is so dangerous. So even if you have a process or a tool in place and it's not efficient, even if it's on paper, if nothing leaks and nothing blows up and nobody dies, they don't want to change the process. Mm -hmm. And what I think is amazing is this new generation that's coming into oil and gas is going, we get it. We're going to make sure our people go home safe, but let's see what else we can do. So they still have the awareness of the risk, but they're open to looking at different process and tools. And I think that's going to drive change in this industry at a record space. I want to circle around because you said something interesting. Integrated operations centers. If people don't know what that is, what's the, what would be the definition of an integrated operations center? <laughs> well, that's a difficult question to answer, really. I would say it's a term that's used to mean different things in different companies. But essentially, the idea is about bringing together people from different disciplines and helping them to work together. So usually it's it's a big space where you have people sitting sort of all the time with from different functions. They have real-time data coming in and, you know, they've got big screens and they can provide either operational support or decision support to people out in the field. You kind of get different flavors. Some 
These days, I think people are looking at the next generation of integrated operations centre, which does control as well as advice. I would say the first generation was really just about advice and engineering support. Now, as we look at becoming more efficient and, and more streamlined, can you bring the control back so you can do remote operations on autonomous operations? So you've got a control room functions in there, facilities engineers, production engineers, sometimes reservoir engineers, logistics, planning, all those people working together in a much more integrated way, facilitated by real-time data and better communications and, and that type of idea. So that's kind of the concept. They do vary quite a lot from one organisation to another, depending on what their priorities are. But it's that sort of collaboration, real-time data, expert support. Those are the kind of themes that run through the IOC idea. Yeah, when you said a smart cities, it immediately I, I pictured Chevron's global operations. I go, you know... That's a lot like a smart city. I learned something literally on this show two days ago. I didn't realize that one of the advantages in the U.S. that the majors have is they're able to buy electricity at a wholesale bulk price because they have the right licenses and the right amount of need. And so then they sell it back to themselves internally, still at a cheaper rate than what an independent operator. I didn't even know that existed. But back to your smart cities concept, an integrated operations center would then look at those wholesale electricity prices all over the world, see what they're metering to the different wells. So then the power broker inside of somebody like Exxon would then know, okay, I'll spend an extra two cents on this kilowatt here because it'll save me you know, three cents over here. Right now, the ability to do that's there, but right now nobody's doing that. So I think it's really cool to think about bringing everything in that an all company would need to run its global operations because now you're talking about things like security you're talking about things like is there an increase in risk is something going on in libya that it that didn't go on yesterday you're looking at things like hey if wti is getting a premium over brent can i shift my operations a little bit to produce more wti i mean this is really cool stuff where do you start with that i mean that's that there's there's like you could spend a whole lifetime trying to bring all this together so when a new client comes to you and says hey we want to look at this where do you start yeah it's a good, that's a good question because i think you can you can paint that vision of where you could be just like you did but if i'm over here how do i get from here to, to that global vision. And, you know, for us, that's part of what we do in the consulting organization. Uh, you know, we'll go and work with a client and we'll do some kind of assessment work where we'll look at what are the opportunities and build a roadmap. Because I think you need to have, and this is one of the dangers of digital, actually, that, that people get quite excited about the potential of the technology and they start a lot of different pilots. You know, the idea of a pilot and a proof of concept is part of the digital philosophy. Do something quickly fail fast, learn and move on. And there's definitely a place for that. But it's also easy to start a hundred of those and have them all going in a different direction. So I think having that balance between understanding where you're going and some kind of broad steps to get there and then trying some of these pilots on the way. So for something like that kind of global vision, I think one of the things that's happening today, which is different, is the availability of finance data. So it used to be that it was very hard to know what current prices were or how that might impact a decision that you're taking now in the field. And we're starting to get to a situation where that data is, it's, it's easier to kind of hook up data from different sources and understand the financial impact of the operational decisions that you're making. So can you operate your field with, a, you know, an eye on what the gas price is doing and, you know, grab a, a percentage of you know, an allocation which has come free, that kind of thing. The opportunity to do that is there now, whereas perhaps it wasn't 10 or 20 years ago. So I think understanding how how you would make those decisions, who needs to be involved in those decisions, what information you need to make the decisions, and probably starting small and building up. So there is a learning-as-you-go part. But I think it's something that increasingly companies are becoming aware that they may be able to do this, that they haven't been able to do that in the past. 
But I think it's going to be quite a challenge for many to get there because it means working in a very different way. We get to the point that everyone everyone makes all the time, which is it's not about the data, it's about the people. But changing the culture isn't easy. And that's something that's much harder than bringing the data together or displaying it on dashboards or anything like that. It's always the hardest part. The culture is yeah. always the hardest part. Yeah. It is funny you talked about the technology and go, well, I just want this. I literally, I'm not going to name the name, but I literally had a pretty large oil and gas service company come to us and go, we want a podcast. And I, go, and I go, okay, what are you trying to accomplish? They go, we don't know. I go, well, you can't just have a podcast for the sake of having a podcast. But I've seen the same thing happen with blockchain. I've seen major companies go, well, we want to do a blockchain. And I go, what do you need it for? We don't know. So you have to at least understand what the business problem is you're trying to solve to see if the technology tool is the best tool to fix that problem. Yes, yes. Otherwise, you've just got a bag of solutions searching for problems. Right, yeah. And I would say that, I mean, the, the approach to the, the change that we're seeing right now, I mean, we, we've gone through waves of, of, of major change, right? Going all the way back to the 60s mainframes and then, you know, enterprise data warehouses and you know, 10, 15 years ago. But now it's digital. You know, first thing is just getting a definition and a strategy in place of what that means to those companies. That's very important. But it's still aligning to those KPIs. The difference now in the, the previous changes that we saw was just the wave of technology and information and how fast it's coming. That's, that is the hardest thing right now that our clients are dealing with. So you got to figure out who you're going to work with, who you're going to partner with, partner with that can help you bring some some organization to that. That's kind of step one right there. And then you mentioned something about risk in this industry. Of, you know, it, it, of course, it is a risk-based industry. I think the change in mind recently, though, is decoupling commercial risk and operational risk and figuring out and recognizing that there's a difference in those two, I'm seeing there's much more of an appetite to take commercial risk than in the past, right? We're still want to run as safe as possible, but I'm seeing companies spend money in, in areas that they might not have spent. And this whole fail fast mentality in digital, you know, that's festered up to, to the top leaders in, the, in this industry now, and they, they understand that. Although personally, I'm not a fan of fail fast. I think you should you should go after quick wins, right, and have that as your as your mandate. But yeah, you know, we're definitely at a time right now where the industry is accepting the change and and figuring out how to, how to work with new partners like Microsoft and Amazon and Google. Those are those are the companies that have the largest market cap in the world right now. It's a different conversation than, than an oil and gas company would have had 10, 15 years ago. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. I don't think I've mentioned it on the show before, but literally Google, Amazon, Salesforce, Microsoft, SAP, Oracle, YPRO, everybody has a dedicated oil and gas sales practice. And the, the reason is not because you're nice. The reason is the potential to make a profit, right? Because we need your help. And But what I love about YPRO is it's not us and we. Y'all have oil and gas domain expertise. If y'all needed to go find a, you know, a process engineer with 10 years of downstream experience, y'all would find him to bring that person in. Also love the proof of concepts because you talk about failing fast. I don't like that term either. I think yeah. it's the wrong mentality, mm -hmm. but I love the fact that y'all do a lot of proof of concepts because what that really is, is you're going to a, a prospect or a customer going, look, we don't want you to fail. Why would we roll this out enterprise-wide, step one? Because it may not be right for you, it may not be right for us. Let's do this little bitty proof of concept. Let's prove it and learn from it. So then later, if we decide to go enterprise-wide, we've now figured out the right way to do it. I, I love that model, you know, because what you're doing is ensuring safe operations. You're also ensuring production time because you're not trying to roll anything out everywhere. You just take a little bitty piece of the business and prove your, your model. Yeah, I think that's true. I also think there's an educational process that's going on around how that model works and, and 
you know, I like the idea of proof of concepts and I like the fact that you do something relatively small and you try it out in a, in a relatively safe environment. However, I, I think there's sometimes a misunderstanding about how you get from there to an enterprise-wide deployment. And that's not step two, that a proof of concept is a concept proved. And there's often quite a lot of work to do before you can just roll that out globally. So sometimes we do a POC and it's quite successful. And then, you know, the management of the, of the client, oh, let, great, let's, let's start using this. It's like, well, actually, it's not ready because there's still some work to be done. And kind of the analogy I use is, is like in oil and gas, your proof of concept is your exploration well. You've drilled an exploration well. You then don't, you know, you're not producing the next day. You have a whole project. And I'm not saying that we need a 10-year timeline to go from a proof of concept to a full deployment. But we need to understand the steps that are required to deliver something that's robust and sustainable and will deliver the right level of value across the enterprise. And I think that's, that's still a learning process for everybody involved, really, because, again, it's easy to get seduced by the, the digital language. We do a POC and then we you know, we're done, on we go to the next POC. And there's a little bit more to be done if you're actually going to make that into a successful, robust enterprise deployed solution. Yeah, we talked culture earlier. Culture has to play a big part of that too. And the one thing a lot of people don't understand about oil and gas is it's an international global business. So those guys that work for Chevron in Rio, they're Brazilians. And those guys that work for Chevron in Norway, they're Norwegian, right? So Chevron has this mix of cultures and things like adaptation, you know, if, if you bring in a new tool for a company to use enterprise-wide, well, the way the Norwegians may like to use that tool may be slightly different than the way the Brazilians like to use that tool. And if you don't recognize that, you're going to lose it. You're going to lose part of this. And one of the cool things about y'all being global is you get that right away. You're a global operation as well. That, that, that's correct. I mean, that, that's, it's very important to understand the culture and being able to align with that. And we've done that with oil and gas companies. For Aramco, for example, we have a facility where we co-invested in an engineering organization that is all women-based, right? And, and How cool it, is it that? Was, I know, right? And, you know, Especially in Saudi Aramco. Yes, yeah. yes. And it, it, it was to really to help enable you know, that, that growth and, and empowering women in, in, in that in that area of the world and you know it, it makes a difference when you can have people in France work with Frenchmen and when you can have people like Helen that's over in the UK and and then working with our, our customers over there it, make, it makes a huge difference in being able to align in what they're trying to accomplish yeah and, and you mentioned something that that was interesting it's you know and we were talking this for the microphone turn on and I don't want to spend a lot of time on this but YPro is one of those companies out there that believes in giving back right you want to talk just a little bit about that because I want the audience to hear what y'all actually do yeah, so the original chairman of Wipro, Premji, Chairman Premji, he is somebody who is sort of very mindful of the need to give back. So, you know, after he set up Wipro, he was always looking to return some of the value of Wipro to the community. And he set up a foundation which he has periodically given part of Wipro to. So he recently retired from Wipro and he's now given 67% of his share of Wipro into a foundation forever. So essentially every 67 cents of dollar profit that we make goes into this foundation, which is being used primarily, but not exclusively in India, just in terms of education. There's, there's a university. They work with local teachers to improve the quality of education across the nation. And then globally, all kinds of programs associated with improving education. It's kind of a next generation thing, but it is, it is pretty, pretty impressive, you know, that that, that amount of money and that amount of Wipro success is going towards help helping to build the generation next generation really 
Yeah, and, and the way I look at it is there's only a handful of people in the history of the world that have given the amount of money that he has back to charities. You look at Bill Gates and Warren Buffett, they've given you know tens of billions of dollars, and, and Primji is right there with it. I think he's over $20 billion, you know, over his lifetime. So it's it's remarkable. What right? a great story. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I love it. We As an organization, we try to give a little bit back, not that much, not yet anyway. But it's just it's, it's good for everybody. It's good for the planet. It just it, it, And it makes your organization – have another goal besides profitability. And there's nothing wrong with being profitable, but when you can be profitable and give a little back, that's even better. All right, so we're getting close to winding down the show. Is there any part of digital with a large enterprise customers that WePro can help with? Well, we're a large global company and uh, we we can really handle the, the strategy, design, and, and build, right? And and then the run and the maintain. And specifically with Oily Gas, where we've got the, the domain consultants to, to help out with that. You know, one of the things I love about y'all is that if somebody comes to y'all with something and it doesn't make business sense, y'all will say, can't do it, or it's not a good idea, mm-hmm. right? You're not just trying to make a sale. You're actually trying to solve problems in oil and gas. Agree. Yeah, and, and I think we also, certainly speaking personally, and, and I think from a, a Wipro perspective as well, you know, we believe in being honest. So, you know, if your client asks you to do something and we don't have the capability, it's not a good idea to say, yes, we'll do it because that's not going to end well. So sometimes if we're asked to do something and we, we, we don't believe we have got the expertise, we'll either search out a partner who does have that expertise and Wipro does have quite a nice ecosystem of partners that helps with quite a lot of that. Or we'll say, this is not our core area, you know, what you really need, some kind of specialist engineering stuff. We've got some engineering expertise, but if you're looking for something really specialized, you're better off going to a different organization. And we're quite happy to say that because... We're kind of proud of the stuff that we can do, but we don't pretend to be good at everything. Nobody is good at everything. Yeah. And and I will say that, you know, we, we've got an eye on the future and kind of where demand is going to come from. So there's another term that you'll hear when it comes to digital and really just the global workforce, which is the gig economy. There's some statistics to say that half the world's work will come from the gig economy in the next few years. So we bought a company called a Perio a few years back, which is a That's platform. right. I forgot about that. Y'all yeah. did. Yeah. And they had a platform. It's called Topcoder, and it is the world's oldest and largest crowdsourcing platform with, well, I think we've got about a million and, and a half people that are working through that, that platform right now. Just the app dev talent that y'all have access to. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're grabbing the smartest 16-year-old kids that are on, on Peru or somewhere, and that is really cool too, because that's a better life for them as well. Yes. Yeah. 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 That's another way of you know enabling people in, in, in remote areas of the world and, and, and them having an opportunity to really make, make, make a living and, and, and do some really exciting work. Right. So we're we've already made a name here in oil and gas with a large independent company right now. So that's something that I think is, is going to you'll see more of here in the next year or two. Yeah. What we'll have to do is get you back on the show and listen, because I'd love to get, I'd love to have a conversation just around that because it's mm-hmm. new and exciting and it's something that kind of flies under people's radar. But I think it's awesome. You now have access to a talent pool that I don't know if anybody else even comes close to. Right. Yeah. All right. So uh, we're at the point of the show now where we have our product reviews. Okay, people, please listen to me. This is kind of fun, the product reviews. It's gadgety stuff. Thank you for all of y'all that wanted me to review your mud pumps and your compressor stations. That's just too big, too too large. My neighbors already think there's something wrong with me. I can't have a mud pump in my living room. So cool gadgety stuff. So we actually have the big, sweet USB travel humidifier. If you travel in parts of the world where the humidity is low and you used to high humidity, it, you, your breathing suffers. So I thought this was really cool. It literally drops into a bottle of water. It would drop into this one. It's USB rechargeable. There's a wick that pulls water up and a fan, and you turn it on, and it's a humidifier. It works in your car, 
It works in your hotel. It's too small for your house unless you had a bunch of them. I just think it's a neat little thing. We'll have a link in the show notes. If you decide to click on that link and buy one of these, a few pennies goes to us. It costs you nothing. Helps support the show. And then at the end of this, listen for Julie and the street team. I also want to give a big shout out to BCD Travel, their official travel sponsor. They make the travel for this show and all of our other shows possible. And then I want to talk a little bit about Flutura. Flutura is the sponsor of the show. We love them to death. They're leader in industrial internet of things. They're in the Gardner's Magic Quadrant. They have AI that's actually business specific in oil and gas, specialty chemicals, and heavy machinery. So there are links in the show note as well. If, if, if you want to learn more, check, reach out to those people, really good people. And once again, thank you for supporting the show. And then we have this giveaway. Speaking of Flutur, it's the Authority Cyber Backpack. So it's a backpack that's set up for you to have uh, batteries in it, to have ports for your ear pods. It's really cool. It keeps your electronics safe and secure, and it's very stylish. We give one a week. It's really simple. Go to the show notes, click on it, and if you want to try to remember, it's getflutur.com forward slash podcast OGGN. But it's easier just to go to the show notes and click on it. Go click. These things are really cool and they're going fast. And then while you're online, go ahead and go to the website. Go to allandgastechpodcast.com. Give us your email address. We promise never to spam you. It's a way for us to alert you when we do new and cool stuff. Like we just finished our contest on LinkedIn for All and Gas Offshore Podcast. We haven't found a winner yet, but we had so many entries. I think we broke LinkedIn for a day and it was really cool. So... And speaking of LinkedIn, while you're there, go ahead and go to the OGGN group on LinkedIn. Join. It's the companion of this show, all the other shows. I think we're over 3,000 members now. It's growing like crazy. It's really cool. Gary, Helen, if people want to find out more about Wipro, where should they go? They go to our website. They could come to us directly. <laughs> and do you know the website URL? That's Wipro.com. Yeah. The only reason I make that funny is I'm not going to say the name of the super major that I had on. But I asked them if they knew where should people go if they want to learn more about this super major. And that person did not his, know their own website. So, yeah, we'll put a link in the show notes for Wipro. Go check them out. They're doing some really innovative things. If you're in oil and gas and you're curious about how digital and digital transformation can help you, reach out to them. They're not going to sell you something you don't need. They'll have a conversation and see if there's some problems they can help you solve. And let me tell you, with this talent shortage that's coming after us, the people that understand and integrate technology in your business first are going to pull way ahead of the companies that don't. I'm telling you now, don't say I didn't warn you. And Gary, if people want to find out more about you personally, I'm guessing LinkedIn? Sure, yes. Yeah, and Helen, LinkedIn yeah, as well? Same for me too. Yeah. yeah, we'll put links in the show notes so you don't have to be clicking on everything. All right, it's about time to get out of here. Thank you all so much for inviting me to your office. Thanks for coming on the show. We need to get you back on, but I just really appreciate this time. This is a great conversation. Yeah, thank, well, thank you, you. All right, so remember, we are making sure that you don't get left behind one episode at a time. And here's Julie with events on deck. Okay, before heading into the events on deck for July, I have a few OGGN announcements. We moved our happy hours to quarterly. And so the Houston and Midland happy hour will be in sometime August or September. Be on the lookout for the date to be announced. And we are launching our Denver happy hour on August 29th from 4 to 6 p.m. All the details are below. And now let's move on to the events on deck. We have the Argentina Oil, Gas, and Energy Summit 2019. That's July 10th and 11th in Buenos Aires. The link is below. Then we have a happy hour coming up on July 23rd. It's the Intentional Networking Oil and Gas Happy Hour at the Houston Zoo. This is hosted by Equilibria, NOV, OGGN, and Flutura. And a portion of the ticket sales will be going to Redeem Ministries a local charity to help human trafficking victims. You can sign up below. Next up, Mark, Jake, and Paige will be speaking at the 2019 IPANM annual meeting, July 24th and 26th in Albuquerque, New Mexico. 
And this year's theme is addressing operators' needs in 2019. Sign up below. The Desk Derek Desk and Derek Fort Worth second annual Shoot for the Future Clay Shoot is July 26th in Decatur, Texas. Sign up below. And last but not least, Summer Nape is coming up August 21st through 22nd in Houston, Texas. It's where the deals happen. Check us out next week for another entertaining and yet useful episode of Oil & Gas Tech Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.